Now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. On today's show, Robert Showers, managing partner of Sims Showers, LLD. Recently, obviously, it's centered around the same sex issues, but certainly it comes from various areas. That just happens to be the recent attack. And the strategy has been from the other side. It appears that uh, first we'll attack businesses run by Christians, then we'll attack uh, Christian ministries, and then we'll attack churches and related uh, organizations. Well, hello, everyone. This is Ray Hilbert, your host here at Bottom Line Faith, and this is the program where we love to lift the hood, and we're going to tinker around in the engine of Christian leadership, and this program is designed for Christ followers who are business owners, business leaders in the marketplace, nonprofit leaders, and we really, really are here to help in and inspire and encourage you to live out your faith in the marketplace. And um, if you've been a longtime listener here at the program, you know we've had an incredible diversity of guests here from uh, CEOs to chaplains of major sports organizations and teams to nonprofit leaders, and we really, really are so blessed to have a wide variety of guests where we learn about their background and how they're serving Christ in the marketplace. And our desire is this program would really encourage you as you're listening. Perhaps you're on your treadmill right now with your headset on, or you're driving down the road, or maybe you're in front of your laptop. But over the next few moments, we have an incredible program for you today. I am so honored, and we are thrilled to have on the program today Mr. Robert Showers, who is the managing partner in the law firm of Sims Showers LLP. And they practice uh, in the Leesburg, Virginia, which is uh, in the D.C. metro area. And uh, Robert, welcome to Bottom Line Faith. Uh, Thank you, Ray. Appreciate it. Well, you know, you and I had a chance a few weeks ago to uh, get to know each other. Uh, We were referred through a common friend and uh, of the ministry here at Truth at Work. And uh, I, I was so eager to have this conversation after talking with you a few weeks ago. Uh, you bring an incredibly unique skill set, passion, and gifting to the marketplace. Would you just take a, you know, two, three, four minutes here? Give us a background of what you do each day and, and your area of expertise in law and practice, because, folks, this is going to be a great conversation today. Thank you, Ray. Um, I've been uh, called to, uh, to really uh, work with uh, Christian ministries, uh, churches, and uh, businesses run by Christians. That's primarily what I do. A lot of our firm does that, but our firm does a broad areas of practice. Other than that, we are actually in the Baltimore, D.C., and Virginia area. We have offices in three or four places. Uh, I happen to be in the uh, Northern Virginia office that Ray talked about. The fact is, in the medical arena, this has become a specialty that uh, most lawyers know nothing about. Although, they have a desire, Christian lawyers have a desire to help their churches or nonprofits or friends who are running businesses. This is really a specialty that sort of uh, comes together uh, in the nonprofit world with the tax-exempt laws, constitutional laws, employment, and all the rest. It's sort of an intersection that the faith part does change many of the answers that you would normally have in, a, in the practice of law. We're really seeing an attack on the Christian faith in the marketplace today and in our culture. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about what you're seeing happen? 
I think you know I've been involved in a number of public interest law firms and uh, the Christian Legal Society, which is a, a group of about 15,000 or more Christian attorneys all over the country. I had the privilege of serving as its president just uh, recently and still on its board. And what we have seen through the Christian Legal Society, which is a, you know, like I said, a broad range of lawyers, is just attacks in all areas. Recently, Obviously, it's centered around the same sex issues, but certainly it comes from various areas. That just happens to be the recent attack. And the strategy has been from the other side. It appears that uh, first we'll attack businesses run by Christians, then we'll attack uh, Christian ministries, and then we'll attack churches and related uh, organizations. And basically, it, the, um, the intersection is between what they believe is a fundamental right of same-sex marriage or sexual orientation versus the First Amendment, freedom of religion, freedom of association, and some of the things, uh, free speech, that uh, have been critical to you know our country. And uh, that's where the, the current battles are. I mean, there's a number of cases that have hit the Supreme Court. There's one right now of a Christian business, Masterpiece Bakery, out of Colorado is now before the U.S. Supreme Court. And it is basically about a Christian who runs a bakery who's very, very artistic, and uh, he will sell to anybody, but he was asked to do a same-sex marriage, and he said, I just can't do that based on my religious principles. And uh, we're going to circle back around because that, that, as you said, that's a case that is currently uh, placed before the U.S. Supreme Court. So we'll, we'll get back to that. But what I'd love to do is kind of circle back around to a little bit of your background, kind of what's qualified you now to be involved in these kind of cases. And uh, you're pretty well educated and experienced guy, you know, as I've learned about you from uh, cum laude from Wake Forest University and, and uh, graduated from Wake Forest uh, Law School. And, and then you've had a long and distinguished career, even serving in the, the Justice Department and so forth. Why don't you take, you know, just expand a little bit so our listeners understand a little bit more about your background. At age 17, I had sort of a Damascus Road experience and came to Christ as my Savior. And that changed everything. I was very involved in sports, and played just about every sport known to man. From that, uh, I, as I went to college, uh, many of my friends felt that I should be a pastor. However, I just never felt called to that. And as I prayed, the, my, one of my life verses is Psalm 1. And uh, I never knew exactly how that worked until much later. And for those of you who don't know, Psalm 1 is seek the counsel of the godly. And if you do, you'll be like a tree planted by the water, and it will yield great fruit. If you don't, you'll be like the tree in the desert, and it will uh, wither and die. And so as I graduated from law school, was involved in the Christian Legal Society there in law school, and before that in InterVarsity, I was president of that at the college and involved in Christian groups, trying to figure out, okay, if I wasn't going to be a pastor, how could that work? And as I was called into law, I'll have to tell you, I mean, everybody makes a joke about the Christian lawyer being an oxymoron. <laughs> um, you know, I was there. I mean, I was trying to figure out, okay, how in the world can I serve Christ in the, in the practice of law? And uh, as I came out, I uh, practiced law a little bit in private practice, and quickly uh, what happened is God uh, decided to move me to various positions. I have laughed with my friends, and I said, you know, I've never gotten a position that I've applied for. And uh, 
And that's pretty much true. God literally moved me around. If we had a lot longer, I would tell you, but just briefly, I was hired by uh, the U.S. attorney at a very young age. In fact, too young. He had to make a special exception. I was the youngest uh, assistant U.S. attorney in North Carolina history. Hmm. Uh, I then became uh, chief assistant, where I did a lot of uh, not only federal prosecution, but also uh, civil litigation. I then was called one day out of the blue by the uh, U.S. attorney general and asked if I would like to interview and be his special assistant in drug policy and uh, criminal justice. So I went up and uh, served Ed Meese for a couple years. And then uh, it happened to be that right about that time, the uh, Pornography Commission had come down and uh, Mr. Meese very much wanted to attack that issue because it was eroding the very fabric of our families and and kids. And and so he created a uh, task force, which later became known as the Child Exploitation of Sanity Section. And after three times uh, asking me to head it up, I finally did. Uh, You can imagine why I was reticent to do that. Mm. But God, again, gave us great favor. I went through that administration, and I was uh, became deputy assistant attorney general of the criminal division. I uh, acted as that for a while and then came out into, back into private practice. I was interviewed with a number of uh, large firms, but quickly found out that it was going to be very difficult for me to serve where I felt called. In fact, uh, when I was interviewing, I had three potential clients that were, uh, two of them were fairly large uh, Christian ministries. And when I told the people that I was interviewing with, all of them gave different excuses about why I was not going to be able to help them or serve them. But it became very clear to me that Christian in that uh, area in D.C. was uh, particularly at a young age. I was not going to be able to do that. So I went with a small firm of other Christians, and that's where I began to learn. I I started the litigation and appellate section, and uh, we defended a lot of uh, Christian... uh, in the business, Christians in the nonprofit and churches, particularly a, a lot of telecoms, uh, Christian uh, radio and TV stations. And that's where I realized that's where Psalm 1 came in play, and that was to give the counsel to the godly and to protect them for what it looks like was going to be an oncoming uh, onslaught to erode, if not destroy, what we've known as freedom of religion, freedom of speech that uh, this country was built on. And that's where I started. Uh, I've been doing this now for 25 years in that area. And uh, I've had just great opportunities to uh, to serve the kingdom of God. In the meantime, Ray, uh, I did get to play out a little bit of my pastoring call, I guess. I helped start three churches. Oh, wow. And uh, <laughs> so that's a little bit about my background. And then I... Uh, uh, started my own firm about 15 years ago because I was really uh, uh, called to help uh, churches of all sizes, small, medium, and large. And in the firm that I was managing partner of, it was a little bit larger, and it was more difficult to do it in that environment. That's perfect. That's perfect. And Robert, before we move on, you have an incredible resource that you would love to offer up on a free uh, offering to our listeners, would you just, uh, it's at, uh, I believe it's on the blog link at your website, but would you tell us just a little bit about that free resource that's available? Sure. We write legal memos and just about every topic that a church or nonprofit or business who's uh, run by Christians face. And recently, uh, we've written a number of articles on how can a Christian run his business and do it legally. 
because obviously that's become a much more difficult task in light of the uh, uh, Supreme Court rulings in Obergefell and in Windsor and some of the same-sex areas. So we have that uh, article on our uh, website, or any of the articles for that matter. I'd love to offer to them uh, free. It's, you know, it's a quick read, five or six pages, and I'd love for them to check it out. And it's got some uh, practical tips on uh, how you may want to do that and do it in a legal fashion. I mean, you know, the usual questions are, you know, can I hire and fire based on faith? Can I spread the gospel in my business? Can I offer a, uh, a Bible study or something in my business? Those are some of the questions that uh, we begin to address. That is fantastic. So we'll reference the site again before we end the uh, interview here, but it's simsshowerslaw.com. Well, Robert, let's kind of learn a little bit about from your background some of the lessons learned and how you kind of joked a moment ago about being that proverbial Christian attorney. What's been the, the most difficult part about living out your faith in your career and in your work and in the marketplace? What's been difficult for you? And then we'll, we'll talk about some of the successes in a moment. But what, what are some of the challenges there for you? Well, um, I'd be less than honest in not telling you that there are many. Yes. Um, I'd love to say, yeah, being a, a Christian lawyer is an easy thing to do, but it's not. First of all, in law school, you basically are told how if you believe in those kind of stuff that you know, you're not intellectual, you're not smart, and that happens then throughout the, the legal practice. If you are able to analyze and think and uh, creatively and and intellectually uh, have a thought process, you're going to reject, obviously, Christianity. So that comes out in various ways. Um, In the litigation area, probably one of my most difficult tasks has been dealing with other lawyers and even now judges who are, quite frankly, very uh, adverse to the values and the morals of my Christian faith. Mm. And I'm a very competitive person. I like to win. Uh, I have won quite a bit. So when they do things that are unethical or wrong, I'd like to, you know, sort of get down in the mud and and do something worse. Um, (laughs) I learned, though, that when I prayed to God, and, and here's what I prayed for, God, just level the playing field for me. All I ask is for a level playing field, and I believe I can I can do your work. And he has done that in amazing ways. I mean, when lawyers have not followed the court rules or court orders, he has leveled that playing field and allowed me to represent my clients, you know, not only in a godly way, but in an effective way. But that's been one of the the challenges to me. Splitting off to the church and nonprofit area, one of the challenges for me has been that lawyers, particularly who are churchgoers or even who are, you know, Christians, have a deep desire to help their churches and nonprofits. The problem has been, as I mentioned earlier in the program, is that this area has become much more complicated. And so they don't really know what they're doing. My most difficult cases are if a a lawyer has been involved. Mm. And so Mm. one of the things that I did early in my tenure at uh, Christian Legal Society is to create a series of courses at every national conference on church and nonprofit law to basically be primers for those kind of lawyers to say, hey, here are the areas that uh, you need to know about. Here are the 
the resources that you can connect with. And here's the areas that, you know, if you're stepping into, be aware that that's not something that you ought to be doing. And I think there's been great fruit in that, but that's a very, a very difficult area since, as you know, every church probably of any size is going to have one or more lawyers or friends of lawyers, uh, pastors and church boards. I mean, they don't realize that, I mean, they should, but they don't realize that a lawyer is not a lawyer. There are specialties to this, just like there are in the medical field. So I just deeply desire that the church be protected, deeply desire, and have moved into a lot of preventive law because I've been in the courtrooms and I know even when I win, the emotional, not just financial, but the emotional uh, toil and um, impact that it's had on uh, the clients. And I'd rather them not get into that area and avoid it. And there are many effective ways to avoid that, to stay out of the courtroom. And I think that's a great segue. You referenced earlier the uh, Masterpiece Bakery case that is uh, currently before the U.S. Supreme Court. Walk us through some of the wise things that uh, Christians in business need to do to protect themselves from uh, lawsuits and these kind of complications. Let me separate that, Ray, if I may, into two areas. Of course. The first area will be the church and nonprofit. And the reason I separate that is that is dealing with a whole different area of law of which the IRS and the state attorney generals and the tax-exempt rules apply. And so while there'll be things that cross over between the for-profit businesses, there are things that are unique to both. So let me start with the church and nonprofit. Let's just focus in—I mean, in general— Church and nonprofits should begin to look at certain areas when they say, you know, where should I spend my legal dollars if, I, if I'm going to spend them? And I said, well, here are the areas. I mean, get a good set of governing documents. Most of the governing documents I look at for churches and nonprofits are not only not legally compliant, but just are not practically operational. You know, when I look at governing documents, I tell the people, hey, let's not write these things for the good times which is what everybody wants to do, you know, warm and fuzzy. Let's write these things for the crisis and dispute. And you'll know if you have a good set of governing documents, if you have written them and you've gone through a crisis and dispute and they have stood the test. The second area, obviously, is the child abuse, child protection area. As you heard, I have a long background in that with the uh, child exploitation and obscenity section, and then I did a lot of writing and came up with uh, with a, a guy by the name of Rich Hammer uh, with a number of things early in the 90s to how we could reduce the risk of child abuse, particularly in churches and uh, religious nonprofits. And so that's another area that clearly needs to be looked at. And as I say in that area, any longer, it's not just the policy that you need to be well-versed in, but you actually got to implement it. Many of these, they pass great policies and just don't do them. You know, when I get in the courtroom, it, the pastor is on the stand or whomever, and the other side basically brings up their policy and said, okay, did you do this background check on this person? Um, well, I, I meant to. Did you do your uh, reference checks on this person? Um, yeah, I meant to. And did you, and, you know, I keep going through the questions, and they're just asking about, did you implement your policy? And every time you say no, or I'm not sure, all that jury is doing is writing a zero on the end of their verdict. Mm. Because on the other side, you have a victim who's been abused in their family, or many of them, and, you know, they're looking to hold somebody accountable. Obviously, the 
the perpetrator is accountable, but they're looking to hold other people accountable as well. So, you know, implementing that policy is critical. The third area, which is actually the most claims come at churches and nonprofits, is in the employment area. And that's uh, something that you've got to look at and spend time and effort in getting the various employment policies, your agreements or offer letters, knowing how to terminate wisely, how to discipline wisely, getting that down. And again, most churches and nonprofits are just horrible at that. They're either too harsh or they're too lenient. You know, it's uh, the old proverb of you hire slowly and fire quick. Generally, it's just the opposite. They hire quick and fire slowly, yeah. which creates all kinds of problems. You know, the, there are some other areas that you need to look at in the preventive law, but those are, as I was saying, those are my, my big areas that I say, let's take a look at. Now, in the business arena, what is happening is there are enthusiastic Christians who want to share their faith and want to have a business run for uh, Christ. And so they are good-hearted, but they haven't thought through what that means. They haven't thought through that if they're going to be that kind of business, then they're going to need to state that in all of their governing documents, that their purpose is to serve Christ and that they're, they're going to do that. If they're going to have any chance to be a religious corporation and to have the protection, say, that Hobby Lobby did yeah. in the recent case, they're going to have to be overt. Uh, used to be everybody said, well, just sort of hide it and do it on the edge. Well, I think Hobby Lobby was a good example. No, you're going to have to be overt. Yeah, you're going to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves, but you're going to have to make it clear in your governance and in what you do. I mean, a number of the things the court cited is the fact that Hobby Lobby closes on Sunday is a huge economic burden to them, but a clear show of their faith and their commitment that these are sincerely held religious beliefs, or the fact that they're giving a lot to Christian charities and things like that. So a business owner needs to be aware that if they're going to do those things, they need to, there's four or five things that they need to uh, consider, and they clearly need to go both churches and uh, and businesses, they need to go to lawyers who are well-versed in this area just to help them set it up and implement it correctly, because that will, I mean, you, you can spend five or 10000 on the front end and cost and save yourself hundreds of thousands or maybe the destruction of your business or church on the back end. And we really have reached that point, right? The, the case in point, you mentioned the Masterpiece Bakery. And so just generally speaking, why why do some of these cases make it all the way to the Supreme Court? Why, do, in some cases, do these Christian-owned businesses lose? And in some cases, why, why have you seen them not even make it to court? Is it what you were talking about earlier, this clearly defined documentation and practicality of living yep. it out? Is that is that essentially what we're talking about? In the areas of faith, The court is asking one key question. Do you have a sincerely held religious belief, and is it obvious in how you run your church, your nonprofit, your business? So, for example, if you are saying in your church, we're not going to allow a practicing homosexual or somebody who's been involved in a same-sex marriage be a member or leader of our church, well, on what basis are you making that discriminatory, in the court's eyes, discriminatory assessment. And if you don't have uh, the fact that you have in your um, 
articles or bylaws, hey, we're just following the Bible and we believe in biblical inerrancy or whatever, that doesn't do it for the court. What the court's looking at is, okay, how are you interpreting the Bible in this area? Have you stated and cited scripture that you believe that marriage is between one man and one woman? Have you stated that you believe that sex outside of marriage, all sex outside of marriage is a sin? Have you talked about gender and gender identity? Have you stated that and put it in your some of your top documents and also given me a lot of scriptural or biblical sites? Or if you're in another faith, given me other of your uh, key document sites. If you want to do those kind of uh, differentiations, whether you're a business or whether you're a uh, church or a nonprofit, you are going to have to clearly show how you have that sincerely held religious belief. And that sincerely held religious belief is the reason you're making this determination, not because you're just a, a homophobe or you're just whatever. And not just because the Bible says. That's that's way too generic, well, watered-down response, according to the courts, right? Well, the, yeah, as the courts have pointed out, um, people on both sides have interpreted the Bible to either prohibit or allow homosexual behavior, yeah. or uh, prohibit or allow same-sex marriage. Now, some of us would say, well, that's, you know, a vast majority believes one way and a minority, but that's not good enough for the courts. You need to show in this area particularly what that means, and that's why your statement of belief and your code of conduct becomes very, very important, particularly if you have a strong feeling on marriage and sexuality. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Folks, we are speaking with Robert Showers, the managing owner of uh, the law firm at Sims Showers LLP, and uh, we would love to invite you to check out their website, which is simsshowerslaw.com, and uh, Robert has pointed out to us earlier that uh, if you click on the blog link there, you're going to find, some, uh, I mean, an incre- I've been browsing that. There's an incredible amount of information there for you if you're a, a church or a nonprofit leader, uh, a business owner, or what have you, but just some of those legal frameworks and, and, and ramifications of how, how we're doing things and, and religious protection and those sorts of things. And Robert, uh, there's always one question that I love to end every interview with. Uh, I call this our 423 question. It's based out of Proverbs 423, where Solomon writes, Above all else, guard your heart, for it determines the course of your life. And so, Robert, if, if, if we could just take just a moment and let's imagine you're at the tail end of your existence this side of eternity, what would be the most important piece of advice that you would leave uh, your loved ones with? And, and I guess that would be the one piece of advice you'll leave our audience with today. Well, it's a a two-part answer. The first part is a cliche, and that is, in all those circumstances, what would Jesus do? The only way you're going to know what Jesus will do is if you study the book that he's written and that God has written to tell you what God or what Jesus would do in those situations. My goal, or epitaph, so to speak, would be to be considered to be an impact player for Christ, that in my life, I made an impact in one person or many people's lives for Christ, whether through transformation or whether discipleship. You know, I just think of a number of people that I've had the privilege of of working with, and I hope that's what they would say at the end of my life. Oh my gosh, I, I feel like you and I have become friends, and I, I bet our audience feels the same way. Absolutely right. 
So Robert, any closing words that you would offer? Any closing words that you'd like to share with our audience? Well, the the bottom line is that Christ asked us to be in the culture. Uh, We're not of this world, but we're in the world. And if we're in the world, we need to make an impact. And uh, don't be afraid to stand up. The Holy Spirit has got your back, and there are a lot of friends that uh, are there with you. And the bottom line is transformation of people's lives so that they may not only live out the kingdom of God here on earth, but obviously live eternally with Christ. And uh, that's, I think, all of our uh, deepest desires. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Take that stand. Folks, we have been speaking with uh, Robert Showers, managing owner of Sims Showers LLP. You can check them out online at simsshowerslaw.com. Click on their blog link there. There is an incredible amount of material and content there to help encourage you as you lead your business or church or nonprofit for the glory of Christ. Uh, I would suggest also checking out the Christian Legal Society. Uh, Learn what some of the resources and tools that they have available to protect and defend us as followers of Christ in the marketplace as well. Well, well, folks, we are wrapping up another episode of Bottom Line Faith. Uh, Check us out at bottomlinefaith.org, and the host ministry here at Bottom Line Faith is Truth at Work. If you're a Christ follower running a business uh, or an organization and you want to learn about one of our roundtable groups where we gather together and encourage and inspire one another and become that advisory board to one another, check out truthatwork.org. Click on the roundtable link there and you can learn more. Well, folks, I am your host, Ray Hilbert, here at Bottom Line Faith. Thanks so much for joining us. Tune in next time where we'll help lift the hood and tinker around in the engine of Christian leadership in the marketplace. God bless. We'll see you soon. Bottom Line Faith is brought to you by Truth at Work. If you'd like to hear about new episodes or listen to past episodes, visit us online at bottomlinefaith.org. You can also subscribe to the show through Google Play and iTunes. 